On this week's episode of Friend Code, we're going to be giving our impressions on Paper Mario, The Origami King, as well as talking about the recent remarks from Kensuke Tanabe about the direction of the Paper Mario series. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Friend Code. I'm your host, Michael Damiani. This week, I'm joined by Rogers Bass. What's going on, everybody? I got my Nintendo mug with me today for the, the, for the discussion. Oh, <laughs> it's like crawling through the mug. That's pretty cool. He is. He's cute. I haven't seen that before. Uh, we also got Sam, NFG. How's it going? Good. I actually, I also have... Un, un, we got our Pokemon <laughs> Okay, <laughs> now I'm... I'm the one without mug here. I'm the one without a Pokemon mug. I got a can of water, everybody. There's, oh, okay. <laughs> that works. Harry uh, A kind of sounds like it could be a Pokemon name. So there yeah, you go. it's like now I feel bad. I don't have anything like in the immediate vicinity <laughs> that is Nintendo related. Uh, I'd have to go to my closet over there or grab one of my controllers. But uh, uh, how how did of you doing actually? Um, one Roger, it's been a while since so we had you on. It's been a few months, yeah. and this is your first time on here, Sam. But uh, uh, everything going okay for you two? You staying safe? Things all right? Yeah quarantining yeah. in vegas still i've been here for two months now i'm just staying with my girlfriend's family and uh, we're just avoiding everything going on in la but yeah we're good i'm happy that the blackout isn't affecting you sam yeah well so far so <laughs> far knock on wood yeah if i disappear that's where i am uh there's a little storm coming up the east coast right now but i've just been working from home since march at this point so all's well good to hear glad to hear that Paper Mario the Origami King, though, uh, because uh, because it came out the same day of Ghost of Tsushima, we were talking about this <laughs> earlier, I'm a little bit behind in Paper Mario the Origami King. Normally, uh, when a bring new, new Nintendo game comes out, uh, I jump on it, I, I play through it immediately, but I decided to go through Ghost of Tsushima first, so that put the Paper Mario in the back burner, so for the first time, I think, since I've talked with Roger, uh, on our episodes, I'm actually way behind Roger. It sounds like uh, I'm, I, know. I, might be I, had, the I was out for the Fire Emblem one, and I feel like I was at least twelve or something chapters behind where you guys were, and I felt so weird because I'm like, I love all the Fire Emblem games, but you guys just bum rushed through it the first time. <laughs> and it sounds like you are just ahead of me, Sam. So I'm I'm lagging <laughs> just a little bit behind, and but I feel like I put a lot of time into this. I feel <laughs> like I, I have a very good understanding of this game. And I have to say, I'm, I'm really enjoying this game. I got to talk with a, another Easy Ally member, Ben Moore, on a recent episode of Frame Trap. Uh, we, we talked about our Paper Mario impressions, because Ben Moore is also playing through it for, for a review. Uh, a little behind on that, too, as well, because we didn't get a code from Nintendo this time for it. Uh, we talked a lot about and I, we were pretty positive on the game. So uh, my sentiments have only improved uh, the more I've played from it. And... The one point I was a little bit low on was the the battle system against remedial enemies. Uh, I think it's picked up a little bit. It's still the weakest link for me, but I'm, <laughs> I'm enjoying it more. Especially the the, the new the new bosses I've encountered since uh, have only upped the the how much I enjoy the battle the the battle system from there. So I'm kind of curious um, where you're both at right now. Uh, how you're overall feeling about the the game. Well, totally agree. Same same place as you are. I do feel as I progress, uh, my opinion has only improved uh, story-wise and even uh, the remedial enemies-wise. I think possibly because I've smartened up and just started avoiding them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but generally speaking, that's my only real gripe with the game at this point is that there are points where I just want to ignore the baddies. I want to say to that point real quick, uh, Sam, mm-hmm. the getting access to a vehicle in like the overworld map area, the environment, mm-hmm. and being able to just run over enemies. Yes. Or when you get yeah. powerful <laughs> enough, you just like hit them or j- jump on them, mm-hmm. smash them, and they instant I love that. I'm like so thankful. Yeah. They, they, I think they got the hint that people might have enough of this at certain points. Let's let them just like progress through the game. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. I definitely share the exact same sentiments as you guys. I was actually, I think, even more negative when I started it. Mm. Uh, I wanted to stream my whole playthrough of the game just because, you know, it's the newest Nintendo game. It's fun. It gives me some content for Twitch. And the whole first area with, like, the forest and having to retread back and forth with some of the toads Mm. and even up to the area where you are, Damiani, it was something where I, like, I really found myself not enjoying the game at all. And I thought, well, this is so weird because I love the aesthetic of Paper Mario games, right? But I was of the group of people that was left very disappointed by sort of the direction like Sticker Star and Color Splash went in where I loved the music in Color Splash and the visuals in Color Splash, but the gameplay, especially the battle system like with the paint, really was not appealing to me at all. And the first... I'd say like five hours of this game going through with the ring system, like you guys said already against like the remedial enemies. I thought, wow, I'm just like not having a good time. And I was Mm -hmm. really struggling. Like, am I going to end up finishing this game live on stream? And my turning point was the second Velemental fight. Um, And I won't say like what the fight is for spoiler reasons, but when I got to that second fight, I finally realized like, oh, the battle system was made for this type of experience. It wasn't really meant for like the the everyday sort of fights against the Goombas and the origami enemies. And from that moment on, like sort of the second chapter with where you meet Bobby for the first time and those boss battles, everything just like ramped up. And I felt by the end of that second chapter, um, like the Autumn Mountain area, I really started to like fall in love with the game. And then by the point I was where Sam is right now with the green streamer, I was like, fully on board (laughs) so and that's that's great because i i really i was scared those first like five hours i thought man i I don't want to come across as like a hater who just loves the original paper mario games and doesn't want to give the new ones a shot but yeah i really feel like it grows on you and they do a really good job of adding in new mechanics where like you guys said you could skip over some of the basic enemies and the combat gets like more interesting i think like the boss encounters get better and overall I, i had a really good time i've now completed it and this is the I think first time in a decade in which I've actually completed a new Paper Mario game. So I think that's absolutely a good sign. Congratulations on that. Uh, I think the last one I had I finished was actually because it was required of me for review was Sticker Star. And so I understood uh, why oh, yeah. people were getting a little bit uh, bummed out about the direction of the series. But uh, here, talking about the battle system a little bit, uh, I want to talk about a little bit more. Uh, our first patron question actually comes from Straw Hat Ninja. Uh, greetings panel what did you think of the battle system in origami king uh personally i got tired of the random battles fairly quickly but the boss battles on the other hand were amazing i liked how each one had a particular gimmick which really made them stand out uh love and respect and i will say without spoilers uh the second one that you were talking about roger and the one i just did the third one i just did especially I really like that you have to, it's not just about figuring out how to arrange the rings to get to the boss. They do have really clever gimmicks. And the the, the one, the third elemental I just did, it took me a few attempts, not fail, I didn't fail. It took a few attempts. And once you get to this, you'll understand what I mean by attempts, that you, 
to figure out what you need to do because if you don't do it correctly and don't figure out the sequence of things you're supposed to do, you are just going to have to try again on the third elemental boss battle. You, you, yeah, so if you don't figure out the sequence of the third elemental boss battle, you got to try again. And I, I like and that. The one that I'm thinking of, that's the one with the with the feathers, right? Yes. I won't say anything else. Yes. So yes, that I was one. playing that on stream and I kept going like, is there a way to do this without getting hurt? And then I basically realized like, no, you just have to sort of rush your way through it up to that moment you're talking about where sort of the puzzle clicks and you go, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So that's I, a great fight. Yeah. So I, I do like the elemental boss battles. Uh, I do like the, uh, I, I do like most of the boss encounters I'm coming across. We were talking a little bit earlier about the the remedial battles, how yeah. they tend to they don't feel like they're fully utilizing or realizing their potential. I guess is the best way to put it, because it mostly seems like you you only have two things: you either rotate a ring or you bring the groups forward or backwards. I was kind of waiting for them. I mean, maybe they do. I don't know for sure because I haven't finished the game. But I was kind of waiting for a moment when they add on extra layers to that. Like maybe you raise a platform or, or so, something like that just in those battles. And I'm at the point where, where I'm at right now. I'm ready for that. It's kind of worn right. out. It's welcome at this point. Yeah, I think you're going to get a little more of that with more of like the elemental powers as you work your way through the game. Again, without spoiling anything, because I know where you are. Um, but I, I just think the puzzles in general get a little more clever mm -hmm. as okay. you get later into the game. I would like, say I it's feel like less about more additions and more about more limitations that you have to work around. Okay. Yes, and exactly. interesting exactly. ones, not, not annoying ones. Yeah. So uh, uh, understanding that that's going to happen, I mean, that sounds, that sounds great. I think the pacing of how long it takes to introduce those, I think they maybe could have started a little bit earlier would have been my only ask. Um, sure. If they, if they get to build upon this, just get to that point a little sooner if they do a sequel to this or a future installment that builds upon the ring battle system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the ring battles in particular, especially by the end of the game, felt awesome for the boss battles. They re I think they never stopped being good for the boss battles from that moment where you are to the ending. They always were good. But I do feel like the game could almost have been improved if some of the real-time battles that you do against like the, the paper macho enemies that are on the battlefield. I almost feel like if those were the main battles, like when you're attacking little baby origami Goombas or bloopers or whatever on the battlefield, if that was just the main battle mechanic and the ring system is saved for boss battles, they would have been that much more special. And I think the game might have been like quite a bit shorter because you'd go through all the random encounters and you wouldn't have to go through the rings. But I think it'd be a better game for it. Yeah, that's interesting. I or like maybe how... if it was... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead, Sam. Maybe if it was uh, not necessarily all battles were avoiding the ring system, but um, the ones that are tied in with story elements could be on rings instead of yeah. just saying uh, every every little guy who's around here and there. Right. I would definitely like that because it's cl they, they clearly have that in mind, the design for those situations. There are times when you stumble across enemies and it's scripted that you're going to have to fight fight them. And then there are the other times we were talking about earlier where you do get a chance to react and initiate combat first, or they get the jump on you and they get the advantage in battle. Or, you know, you're strong enough that you just, like, one-shot them so you don't have to do the battle and just skip it entirely. Um, so it would be nice, yeah, Sam, if they did something like that where they maybe started to focus on 
the story beats for where you were mm-hmm. doing the the ring battle yeah. and maybe the the, the paper mache battles with the, the the big and large enemies were a little bit more prevalent uh, and like you know sprinkled in a little bit more because they do inter- slowly introduce new types over the course of the mm-hmm. game in each new world um, in fact I, I don't I, uh, there, there's a part that I got to do in uh, the the Wind Waker like area. It's been in the trailer. Right. You've seen the boat part. There is an island there where you can do a, a gauntlet against right. a bunch of those. And I that was I did that earlier on. I actually got access when you can get access to the captain in the boat, which is bef- uh, you can go there really early. Actually, I went and did that. I did that early on, so I was like really low HP, and I stuck it out and like did that whole sequence. And I, I, that was the most enjoyable the, the combat had been because a it was yeah. more real time, and I understand it, it maybe ties into the talk later we'll get to about whether this game is you know they're not going to be it's not going to be an RPG series anymore. Though I think when they say RPG, the developers I think they mean something else other than combat. Um, right. But I, I do like these real time battles, and I wish there were more of them mixed in here i think that would have alleviated some of my concerns about the combat and battle system yeah i will say and i think sam will agree with me on this there's a real-time battle that's coming up for you probably mm. within the next chapter that was actually one of my favorite fights in the game mm. uh, where you're on a an area with a partner and you just have to go through the entire thing and fight using like your hammer and jumping on top of them and timing things and that in particular, that one sequence is really what made me believe like, oh, they could do this with the general combat and it really wouldn't take away anything from the game and I think it would actually enhance it. Yeah, agreed. I'm uh, Sorry, it came to mind, I was doing a part of one of the dungeon-like environments and I was fighting a bunch of shy guys in real time who had uh, an elemental ability at the time and so you were having to dodge the mm-hmm. element they were using against you while also fighting them and there's been instances like that before I, I was just realizing catching my own mistake that they do actually kind of put a few of those in there every now and then on top of like not just like the big bad guy ones but like remedial style battles like that I guess just like the, the because how frequent the ring battles can be I, I guess I lost track of some of those. So yeah. before comments correct me on that, I just wanted to point out, I, I remembered that. <laughs> it is, it's a little bit at random. So it's hard to to put uh, the point in time in the game to, to those battles. Like why was that particular section, uh, the real time battle system as opposed to the rings? Cause that could have yeah. easily been a big, I know the one you're referring to, it could have easily been a big wave battle of some kind. Yeah. Guys. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm glad it wasn't, but. Yeah, that was the thing I was dreading. Yeah, for sure. So I have uh, I want to wrap up the battle system discussion here for one more patron question uh, from John White. Uh, Hi everyone. First and foremost, I absolutely love this game. It really took me by surprise. The worlds, the music, and the overall vibe of the game was just a really memorable experience. I am probably in the minority, but I really enjoyed the battle system in this game. I think it really gave this game its own identity and is a good foundation for future titles to build upon. Would you be interested in returning to the system so long as they add different acceptable enemy lineups or perhaps weapons or abilities that would allow for different strategies? Have a good one. Yeah, for sure. 
I mean, that's like my <laughs> simple answer. Absolutely. I feel like it was fun in the areas in which you have clever boss battles. It's just, I think if you tone down the amount of generic enemies that you, like utilize the battle system and really up the ante with some of the boss battles, I mean, I would totally be okay with this being the direction the series gets taken. And if they really can't go back to that old RPG kind of system from like 64 and thousand year door and things like that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I would like uh, a lot see to see more kind of patterns of items um, so we can have more than like right now without getting into spoilers your your options are basically you, you attack in a line you attack in a square or you attack the whole board and it would be cool if there were options uh, that were more prevalent because really yeah. you get you have jump and you have hammer and then everything else is uh, if you happen to have the resources on you uh, it would be yeah. nice if if maybe you had a partner attack or something along those lines that that did something like that did it a little bit and more differently i'm glad you mentioned that too because i do feel like there were a lot of opportunities for that with the partners that were in battle um in some of these areas where i i expected them to do more than like an auto attack and there definitely could be options for like either attacking diagonally mm -hmm. where you could set that like one partner that you have with you in this one area maybe does an X pattern attack or like a diagonal attack. Mm -hmm. And that I think would have maybe changed things up a little bit and would have made those fights um, more interesting than just having your partner like do an auto attack that immediately kills all of them in one hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I almost feel like I kind of want to see maybe them try a more of a strategy RPG system. Um, like you, like a like maybe not necessarily a grid base, but allowing Mario to and I, I, first of all, I do want party members. I want party members to come back. I want you to be able to yeah. control more than just Mario. Um, even if they get if we just do Mario and Luigi, because you know that series, you know, is, might not be coming back again, <laughs> uh, because of the the studio no longer being around. But it, you know, you never know uh, what they might do with that. But I think having yeah. Mario being able to move in different positions on a, like on, on a battlefield would be kind of cool or the battle arena, so to speak. Like maybe Mario could jump onto a higher or different ring and then it like changes perspective or something from that. Like sure. I'd like to see them. I definitely want to see them build upon this. I, I do think I'd like to see, uh, I'd like to see them rely more on party members as well, for sure. Yeah. I'm curious. Have you two played the Mega Man Battle Network games? Nope. I only know I, I know of them, and I know uh, what they uh, how they operate because a certain sure. former Easy Ally member uh, was really into those games. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I have a, I have a very loose uh, uh, affiliate or loose familiarity with them. I do too. Yeah. So the the like the grid system sort of in those games. I kept being reminded of while playing Paper mm. Mario. And I think they could sort of do something similar where you blend the two um, and have your attacks that, like we were talking about earlier, could either move in different directions or your partners could do different attacks. You have different attack patterns. And uh, I think it could spice up the game in like just the right way without really taking away the little RPG mechanics that are still there. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that sounds really good. Uh, on a again the episode of Frame Shout that Ben Moore and I talked about uh, Paper Mario, I brought up uh, the DS version of Nino Kuni uh, because of its unique battle system where you have three party members and depending on how you arrange them, you can stack them. Who you put in front could be, act like uh, 
like the tank essentially. So like say a, a boss about to do a big attack, you want to make like a line formation with your strongest party member in the front to take the brunt of it. Or the f like you configure your party in a different way, you can execute a special like magical attack. But if you do a different formation, you know, it, basically different attack styles are possible based on your party formation where they physically are in like a, a three by three grid essentially. And you can move each of them like one space at a time. Um, but it's not like you're 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 not moving to get into range of the enemy attack. It's you're trying to configure your party makeup in, in mm -hmm. each turn to deal with at offensive and defensive capabilities. Maybe that might be something that would be better suited to uh, what they're trying to do with Paper Mario. Because I worry though when I said like a more of a strategy slash tactical RPG that gets a little too complicated. You know, I I, I don't foresee them maybe going that direction. So. Something simple. I mean, like if this there's any studio of Nintendo's that's going to do a quality strategy RPG, right, uh, it's probably going to be Intelligent, Intelligent Systems, Systems, who also makes Fire Emblem yeah. and Advance <laughs> Wars. It's like if you're going to go in that direction, you might as well go full it's, force into that direction. It's just they already make Fire Emblem, and people would rather see like Advance right. Wars come back than sure. than make Paper than make Paper Mario become that. Yeah. Uh, sure. But I think just having that, having a party system, having that partner element, yeah, would be enough. Honestly, absolutely. Like even just if it was just one partner even with that um that's a, a big added element with if you had a, a known factor of this partner's always going to attack this line with this attack or has two options of attack something like that yeah it's a, it's, it's a pretty big additional strategy element that we don't have currently and i think it would make the battles a lot more interesting i, I think yeah. you're i think you're right there i think you're on, on the right track with that uh, and both of you as well like i think it's absolutely probably party members is the best way to go if they're going to build upon which this. is weird because you know the way this game got promoted it was like oh partners are back partners are finally back <laughs> and not, it's just not really they're not really back i mean they, they are there and prevalent in the story and i do kind of actually like and it grew on me that the partners that you do have or the party members or whatever you want to call them I like actually going back and like revisiting them in the areas that you go to. So when you go back to like the water area, you could still dive underwater or in the desert, you could pick out the coins out of the sand. Like that kind of stuff is, is really cool. And I do wish there was more of that, like you guys said, just implemented within the battles outside of just being on the field. Um, and also, you know, being able to take these party members with you throughout the course of the game. Like it is cool to have them designated each area, but I also th feel like it would be a lot more interesting and really could change up the battle system if they all had their own unique pattern and you could take that in the battle throughout the course of the rest of the game. I'm going to guess the obvious thing here also is that you, you want the option to be able to choose who's in your party at any time. Like being able to swap <laughs> yeah. party members in and out to, to suit your play style, I think, is also one of the things you'd like to see if they, if they went yeah. back to a party system. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, I just... I, 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 do, I do worry about... Uh, getting too many get my hopes up for something like that but you never know yeah. maybe uh, that was me before this came out <laughs> i mean i think you literally even had me on an episode of friend code yep. where we talked about the rumor yep. of a new paper mario game and i told you these exact words i said uh... i don't want to get my hype up and i don't want to set expectations it's going to be a return to form for the original paper mario because it's not going to be mm. i could tell like just with the direction it's going in it's not going to be mm -hmm. but i think i've now come to terms with the fact that that's okay 
Like, I think if, if they go in this direction and do like a puzzle strategy RPG and they just acknowledge that that's what the system is, I don't think people are going to be as upset. I think it's the idea of perpetuating that, oh, no, it's a return to form. Oh, partners are back. Setting these expectations, mm -hmm. that's where people are getting disappointed. I think the game itself is fun and the direction it goes in is great. And, you know, the, the story and some of the characters are some of the best the series has seen in decades. So, you know, I'm all for them going in that other direction. It's just be transparent about it. <laughs> like, right. don't yeah. say that the series is what it is anymore. You know what I mean? Right. And I sure. think that's one of the uh, minor issues with the way that partners are handled in the game currently, because you, for people who haven't played the game, you do bring them into battle with you, but they, they attack basically at random and unpredictably. Um, so it's, it's almost like they're, they're kind of there, but also what's the point of having them in the battle? Um, the fact that it's like partway there is a little bit irritating uh, more than it is exciting for me. Yeah, they treated it like a like a bonus, basically. Right. It, right. It's like, hey, don't rely on this, but every now and then it might help you. It's RNG. They're, they're basically right. just RNG. And it is a little annoying, I think, to have no direct control over them. Um, yeah, and right. to not have them be reliable. Uh, you're speaking of like the direction um, uh, we were talking about a little bit. Uh, I have another question uh, from Reagan about uh, the, the, uh, one of the design changes uh, or the d design changes has happened over the last few games, I guess, and has continued in uh, Paper Mario, the Origami King and how you feel about it. Uh, so Reagan says, hello, allies. I have a question about a gripe I have with part of Origami King that made my interest levels go from very interested to completely out. The main thing that made me drop out of Origami King was when I heard there were no, there would be no, EX, there's no EXP. There's no experience points or leveling in the game. And instead you buy power-ups with coins. I know this is frankly a minor part of even the original games, but hearing that just made me think that battles are either not worth doing a lot of or potentially even bothersome after seeing the same groups of enemies X amount of times. I've even heard people say that the battle system to them felt boring compared to the original style. So that made me even more worried about touching the game at all. Uh, do you, does having no experience points matter? Are battles fun enough to make me not even think about this uh, Love and respect. Uh, we, we talked about the battle system part of it. So m more specifically about like the lack of experience points and leveling. How did you feel about that? I think it would be nice, uh, nice to have experience that's more directly linked with the battles that you're doing. But there is there is a, a quote unquote leveling system in the game uh, in the form of these crystal hearts that you uh, earn throughout the game. So you, you are gaining strength. It makes it easier to knock out the early enemies uh, in one hit without actually going into the battle. You are gaining HP. Uh, it doesn't cost coins. Those are a separate, a separate resource that you go through pretty quickly as well. But um, I think it would be nice if there was more of a benefit to going after those enemies outside of the coins and confetti. It would be a nice to have. Definitely. Yeah, and I, I, it is funny because I feel like the coin economy could work 
realistically, but the area Damiani mentioned earlier, the gauntlet, where you fight all those paper macho enemies, I also did that very early on and ended up with like so many coins <laughs> that literally it didn't matter. I was just spending them all like if I was in a, a really easy battle and I, I went, you know, it's just like one area is out of reach and it's going to take me more time to move the grid. I'm just going to spend 999 coins and have the toads attack them all and move everything in the right <laughs> order. And that stayed that way throughout the course of the rest of the game. That never really was something that went away, even in some of the harder areas near the ending. Um, but I actually, I got to say, I actually don't mind the EXP being gone because of what you said, Sam, which mm -hmm. is that those hearts that give you the extra strength and the extra health did actually make me feel like I was leveling up and getting stronger through each area. Um, where it didn't really bother me in the way that I thought it was going to bother me as somebody who's really a fan of like the old school Paper Mario games like Thousand Year Door and 64. I, I, I agree. Uh, I, even though I've been aware of it, you, you Sam, you reminded me about like the heart crystals, the heart pieces, where uh, the things mm -hmm. that level up. Yeah, like the, the, that is the level system. I was like, yeah, yeah. the first time you get it, uh, your partner says, hey, it looks, or uh, Olivia says, you look like you got stronger, Mario. And like, then you see your hit points do more damage. And mm -hmm. like your basic boot attack or your basic hammer attack goes up. I like that. I, I made me want to actively seek out more and encourage me to explore the world more. And actually, because I was worried, oh, the paper confetti stuff, finding the toads, this is going to get boring after a while. I'm just going to move on. It's like, no, I want to do more damage because I want to get through these battles faster. But <laughs> yeah. also for boss encounters, I mean, it's a whole different discussion. I, I mean, we didn't really touch upon it in the battle system, but I don't think basic attacks are that integral to the bosses i've done so far it's a it's a mm -hmm. whole different that's actually not that important and, and at least i thought it wasn't but yeah i i i actually think it's fine too the the to sum yeah. it up i think it's fine without experience points and i don't know how much it really added to anything other than making you feel like it was a traditional rpg at the end of the day right and if they do really want to move away from the rpg mechanic i actually think it's smart to keep the experience points away um because again like you mentioned sam too it's like with the coins you could then get new power-ups like accessories like the boots the iron boots mm -hmm. or right. you can go and buy this other stuff and each of that stuff is locked out through each area that you go to so you'll get to like a new area you'll find a merchant they'll sell some new accessory you equip it i mean it's it's pretty much the same thing it's just laid out in a different way it's more like uh, uh we can get it i, I want to bring this point up again later so i won't forget about it but like it it felt more like the progression system in a, in a like a zelda game where you get right. better gear get better items as you progress to each new area and that's how you feel more powerful rather than simple levels and uh i'm gonna dive into this really quick because the whole thing about rpg structure um, back when they uh, abandoned experience points and they were changing directions, uh, the, one of the Awada asked for Paper Mario Sticker Star. Uh, Awada asked uh, Kensuke Tanabe, producer director uh, on the oh, producer on the Paper Mario series, sorry, uh, why they threw out the basic RPG structure. And Tanami said, we decided to make it so that players would face stronger opponents by throwing out the whole concept of experience points and levels in favor of gradually gathering stronger stickers. In this case, replace it with everything we've been talking about. Uh, I'd been actually thinking for a long time that I wanted to get rid of the RPG experience points. Uh, so they could get, they wanted to basically, A, get more creative with the, the battle system. He references that that freshly, uh, freshly picked Tingle's Rosie Rupee Land, which it's all about economy in that game. You don't actually level up in that. But also I think they're rebooting the lines, grinding. Like if you got too powerful too fast by battling remedial enemies, 
the challenge goes out the window in those games. Whereas sure. this, they can kind of control that to an extent, I think, a little bit better. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about that, though, with that statement, is that, like, I feel the first five hours, all the battles were incredibly easy. And it was literally more time-consuming to do them than it was to say, oh, they were difficult, because they weren't. It, we could all figure out, you put them in a line, you put them in a square. And I think that's yeah. what was so frustrating about these early hours of the game, is if that really was what he was going for, and he wanted to have this battle system where they're sort of like holding you back a little bit before you have the right amount of you know, coins or whatever to progress and buy the right accessories, it almost hurt the beginning of the game. Like, again, it's something all three of us have touched on. The game only gets better. Mm -hmm. And the only thing you're doing is turning off people who would otherwise potentially want to be interested in the series by sort of locking all this stuff away very early on and flooding with tutorials and giving you so many coins and making the solution so easy that by the time you get to where Damiani is right now, you do get a bit of a difficulty spike. And then if you haven't already purchased the right accessories or spent your coins correctly, you're like, how did we even get here? <laughs> For sure, I I felt the 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 one the the, uh, the elemental battle I did the boss battle. If I hadn't, if I wasn't paying attention and actively seeking out hearts on the on the rings slash heavily stocked up on healing items, uh, that even with blocking correctly, it w could have quickly spiraled into with as high as an HP count I thought I had. I was like, uh, this if I didn't have this stuff man this would seem almost impossible so mm -hmm. yeah i can see where they might start to kick up the different like enemies or even remedial enemies if i'm not using the better items like the better hammers or better boots i'm not killing them in one turn even with like the lined up buff for the attack buff it's uh yep. they're, it's they're starting to push back a little bit more for sure mm -hmm. and i think there was a point i think it was at like the third elemental where i actually so i did not do uh that little island where you both got a ton of coins mm. oh yeah <laughs> so i actually ran out of coins at one point i think Ooh. it was oh man yeah, i okay. think it was at the third elemental and uh it was because some toad offered me like a thirteen thousand coin statue so of course i purchased it and that was all yeah. of my coins but <laughs> i i remember being at that point and being like oh god like i have to use my brain because i can't rely on the toads like i got nothing my items weren't great, but I managed to make it through it. And I think that was one of the more rewarding points in the game. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of also want to talk, uh, I kind of want to talk about, um, kind of like the, the, the story elements of the game. Uh, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I just was reading through this question just to make sure I got this right. Cause I have a bad habit <laughs> sure, of like sure. saying we're about to talk about something and then I don't read the full question and it's not about <laughs> what I said. So I was just trying to make sure I didn't like completely, I'd rather derail and stutter at the beginning than derail it once we actually begin talking. Uh, but okay, this question is sure. more about everything other than the battle system. Cause we, we've been talking about battles. We talk about the, the structure change in terms of like the lack of exp the economy and the, like the progression system. But we really haven't talked about like the story and like the environments in the game too terribly much right now. This is a question from Logan. Hi, panel. I recently finished Origami King, and as it stands, it's my goatee so far. While I do agree the battles aren't particularly great, I think like the other Paper Mario and Mario Luigi games, the battles aren't what get me through the game. As a lot of the times, I find myself kind of bored of the battles in these games. But it's everything outside the battles, namely the writing, characters, and scenarios I go through that I love the most. The Thousand Year Door is still the king of all this, 
but I still think Origami King did a fantastic job. I love the Wind Waker-inspired chapter. I thought Olivia was an absolutely fantastic character, and it was funny throughout. What are your thoughts on this? The writing is amazing. I mean, I genuinely like the writing in Origami King, I think, is the best it's been in a very, very, very long time. And, you know, I think it's actually, for me, less about my critiques with the story, because I feel like the story is good throughout. Like, I enjoyed it. I liked meeting all the partner characters, and I liked exploring with Olivia. All of that, even the NPC dialogue, like when you find a cafe randomly, <laughs> and you'll talk to, like, a Koopa or a piranha plant that's on their break, and then you find out little stories about them. All that stuff was great. I think my main issue was with the characters because so many of the characters, at least in terms of variety, and this was an issue that Sticker Star had and Color Splash, where you go to just like generic toads to find out information or like very basic type of enemies. Um, and I, I, this is probably something we're gonna get to a little bit later on, so I'm not gonna dive too deep into it. It was one of those things where I felt like, oh, this could be so much more interesting if this was like a different Mario enemy, or if this wasn't just like a random toad again, or if this wasn't like generic enemy number 75. If this was a separate character, introducing this story element to me, I'd be much more like um, engaged with it than sort of what happens a little bit later on in the game, so. Yeah, I agree with, um, with all of that. I think there is some reprieve from that in terms of, of the more generic characters' personalities uh, that we might get into a little bit later, but I think there's, there's some some work that's been done in the writing that's enough to kind of carry those characters past the fact that they might look like a generic toad or a generic right. uh, Koopa or whatever happens to be at that moment. Um, but it would probably be beneficial if there were more more indicators to, to them being less generic than yeah. the way they talk. Yeah. Um... I mean, honestly, if you if, uh, where we're going next is into the subject you're thinking about. If you, I mean, if you, if you really want to, I think a lot of people want to hear about it. So, I mean, I don't want to. It sounds like you want to touch upon this, and uh, our the per patron who asked specifically about it, or pretty much asked about it, uh, was Kerbu. Basically, asked about you know the side characters, the partners in this game, and you know the issues that you're alluding to. Uh, and this all stems from whether or not you've played the game or not, you probably are aware if you've been following Nintendo news about the producer of the Paper Mario series, uh, Kensuke Tanabe, making a statement about uh, since Paper Mario Sticker Star, this is the statement, sorry. Since Paper Mario Sticker Star, it is, it's no longer possible to modify Mario characters or to create original characters that touch on the Mario universe. That means if we aren't using Mario characters for bosses, we need to create original characters with designs that don't involve the Mario universe at all, like we've done with Ollie and the stationary bosses. Uh, this was further clarified upon uh, in, a, in a, game, uh, a games radar interview, uh, basically stating from the production from the production of Paper Mario Sticker Star onwards, we were no longer able to graphically represent individual characteristics such as age, gender, etc. in Toad NPCs. And so it has become that much more important to convey their personalities 
simply through text. And you were kind of alluding to that before a little bit, that that's where they're doing. Our writer, Mr. Taro Kudo, has been grappling with this difficult challenge since Paper Mario Sticker Star, but has managed to achieve giving all the text a sense of humor. So <laughs> that's their, basically their stance on it, is that visually we might not be able to do it, but we're going to be relying on our text a little bit more. Do you feel this came through with the characters in this game? And, you know, if, let's open the, the floodgates on this topic as well. So no more restrictions. <laughs> feel free There's to a, say what a you want to say. on this topic. Yep, go um, ahead. <laughs> for, first thing I'm going to say is this, is going into it, finding out like, oh, okay, we're not going to have bombette or goombet or like some of the other type of characters that were more like spin-offs of those generic mario enemies anymore it was a bummer honestly and this has been a, an issue that i've had with the paper mario franchise for a while now but i do feel writing wise um they did deliver in terms of characterization even for some more of these like generic enemy kind of partners that you run into or even some of the regular npcs and i think there's two sides of the coin here. There's one, um, like Bobby, I think is a great example. Mm -hmm. Bobby is literally a bob without a fuse. That's it. That's like what the whole thing is. Um, and as you progress throughout the course of the story with that character, the fact that he was just like a generic bob I felt actually made the impact of where his story arc went all the better. And it made me really like reevaluate what I think of bob Oms as I progressed later on in the story, specifically the area that Sam is in right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like that, on that end, it worked perfectly. But to the aspect talking about like the toads and the generic enemies and things like that, um, I, I want to bring up one instance that happens kind of early in the game, and this is in the Autumn Mountain area with the little um, can opener trio, mm, where you yes. have to get like the I little can. Yeah. I love that, <laughs> where you have a dry Goomba that's in paper form. You've never seen dry Goombas in Paper Mario games before, and it's not like the Mario series doesn't have a cavalcade of awesome, cool little races of characters. You've mm -hmm. got like the Piantas, you've got the Noki, you've got even in Mario Odyssey, there's like the the little seals and the sombrero skeletons. I mean, they've got a range of different characters you could use, and I think there's a moment that hit me in the Purple Streamer in which a really important character is introduced to the story, and I thought, oh, what kind of character is this going to be from Mario lore? Like, I'm so excited to see what this character is going to be and that character turns out to be a toad and admittedly and i was streaming my reaction to this so like everyone could go see it it was the kind of thing where it really did take the wind out of my sails um at that point in the story because i thought i understand you know not wanting to do spin-offs of characters and not wanting to make things like a licensing nightmare and having like oh a bomb with the sombrero or like a <laughs> bomb with the admiral hat that suddenly makes a different character i get that from a licensing perspective i get that even from the perspective of wanting to not create like original characters within the mario rpgs like say Gino and Mallow. Like, obviously, we've got the situation where those characters are relegated to Mario RPG, and I think there was, like, a cameo in, like, a Mario Luigi game or something. But on the whole, those characters are tied to those side games. They can never lead those side games. And so I understand, again, they want to avoid that by creating, like, eight or nine party members in each of these games, all with their unique abilities. But, again, utilize the Mario characters you already have in the, in the verse. Like, utilize any of the other new types of characters that were introduced in Odyssey or in Mario Kart or Luigi's Mansion even. I mean, there's so many different spin-offs of Mario titles where they could have gone in that direction and they chose not to. And I think that was the big bummer. So, you know, with, with the toads you collect on the, like, um, as you're exploring with the confetti and stuff, I think their writing was great. And I think for the purposes of what the toads were, where you're like finding them as collectible, 
that's totally fine. And again, it works for Bobby's story for him to sort of be a generic enemy. But I think there's just so many other moments within the course of Origami King where I'm thinking like, I understand you didn't have to do a spinoff of the character, but you could have made this something else than what it was. Yeah, uh, I do want to say, I think that the the quote from that those interviews is uh, makes it sound more strict than than the game would actually uh, present. Um, there are character. Well, a they are allowed to do outfits for the characters, and a lot of a visual uh, representation of a character can be conveyed in their outfit. Um, so, especially with the toads, there are distinct characters uh, based on their outfits, their personalities, etc. There's distinct characters um, location-wise. There, there's actually in the later game um, a version of Toad that I don't think has been canon previously, color-wise. We'll just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think it's a little less scary than, than the quote makes it sound. I think the quote kind of makes it sound like you have these characters and you can't do anything with them. It's not quite right. quite that bad. Um, but it is still a little bit sad that we don't we don't get characters like uh, like Coops. Like I love Coops. Um, like uh, most of the characters from Thousand Year Door. But at the same time, we do get characters like Ollie and Olivia. Right. Uh, and there's nothing stopping other characters from previous games have been non-Mario Universe characters, and they were still wonderful. Um, there's characters like Vivian, uh, generic kind of ghost. We could always get more characters like that, and we didn't see that too much in this game outside of Ollie right. and Olivia. Um, but possibility-wise, even if these kind of restrictions don't get tightened in the, the future. I think there's still a lot of possibilities and it's not like the nail in the coffin on, on Paper Mario or any future Mario game. Yeah. Uh, it's just I, I think of what you're touching on, you touched on something super important too, which is that like you said, it's not really as big of a deal as I think people are making it out to be. Mm -hmm. The restrictions really aren't like that strict. When you think about, again, all the characters that are in the Mario universe, they could still do plenty of things. And they could even do things that they sort of teased a little bit in this game. Like um, in what, I won't go too much into it, but in one of the cafes you find at, at a portion of the game, you see a piranha plant without his pot. And that, that right there is just such a funny sort of thing that gives personality to these generic enemies that we've been like jumping on top of for years that imagine if like that piranha plant was your partner throughout the course of the game. Like there's a, there's an area in which you sort of explore a jungle at one point. And I keep thinking like, oh man, that piranha plant without a pot would be perfect for the jungle area. <laughs> I would love to see them interact with that environment. And, um, and I think there's a lot of opportunity for that in the future. And you could see them testing the waters in this game, which is I think why by the end of it, I really did feel like, oh, there's hope for this franchise. I could totally see this going in a direction that I really do think is unique and creates its own voice among the rest of the Mario spinoffs without going back to those RPG roots that I think a lot of people have been craving for for a long time. Yep. Yeah, uh, I, I, I do agree. I do agree. I think uh, once if people actually give the game a chance, they'll see that it's not as, uh, not as severe um, mm -hmm. as you might think it would be. And it's really interesting because without getting into, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but we've just been talking about a character, uh, a Babam character that was just a generic Babam and stuff. And it's just surprising how on the surface, I was like, this is just not going to be a memorable character because 
part of it is the visual design, but also up to a certain point, the story was just, their story was just not that terribly interesting to me compared to everything else that was going on. Uh, they definitely course correct on that in a yeah. big way. <laughs> I will say that. And they managed to pull off making that character for me probably going to like have such a lasting impression that it's going to be up there with some of the other characters. So I do agree with their, the, the other part of the quote that there are other ways to convey uniqueness besides visual design slash aesthetic. The, the writing and personality can't come across. Um, sorry, the personality can come across in the writing uh, when you have enough talented writers behind uh, in the, in the writing team, essentially. And I think from what I've seen so far they have proven that they can do it on a, on certain characters, but there's still other characters that aren't that I think aren't done as well. Uh, the next partner I got uh, that has joined my group, uh, I don't particularly find them as memorable or as entertaining. Um, I mean, I'm still with them, so I don't know what might happen with them. You know, what where their story might go. So that might change again because just like with the with the with the the, the first partner's arc with uh, Bobby's arc. Uh, where it's going, um, it was just all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's going in much better directions here after being so stale for a long time. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, but everything else you said, I agree with for sure. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it was just people need to maybe try it out first, and you know, before they pass judgment on it for 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 the the, the that quote specifically. You brought up something interesting, though, which is, you know, you mentioned, oh, you don't necessarily need like the visual cues to make the character stand out, but at the end of the day, like one of the big portions of his story arc is like why he doesn't have a fuse. And so he still is not True. just like a regular bob -omb. Now, again, like the way they reference him and the way that character um, is sort of like set up within the lore of the rest of the game. Like I, I understand completely why they made him look as generic as possible. But at the end of the day, he still didn't have the fuse. Like that's <laughs> such a big portion of his story um, that the, the thing where he's just like, oh, I'm another bob -omb. That sort of makes you take another look at the bob -oms as characters as opposed to just that one character himself. Um, so I don't, it's, it's a weird, yeah. it's a weird situation. I, yeah. I will say this too. Uh, I mean, I, I, I would be lying if I didn't say this, but uh, some of my favorite characters from the breadth of all the Mario RPG installments have very unique visual designs. Uh, mm -hmm. We've touched a little bit about Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, which I like is still, to me, my favorite of the Paper Mario games, but if we're talking about all the Mario RPG games, my favorite characters come from Super Mario RPG. I was like, G Gino, Malo, uh, it's like these two characters alone, they have very unique original designs, so they don't necessarily violate the Mario rule because they were never Mario characters in the first place, but I would be okay with that, with them bringing in original, new, crafted characters for the storyline if they just want to get around and circumvent the, yeah. we can't yeah. do certain things with Mario characters anymore, they have demonstrated they absolutely can do stuff like that and make these memorable characters. And as much as is the personality, like Gino just looked cool to me as a kid. I was like, this is a cool looking yeah. character. Yeah. And Maul had a lot of personality and I found him adorable. So yeah, I, I think I think design does go a long way as well. I don't want to knock it completely. I, yeah, but I, to counter, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was go just ahead. gonna say, I think the key there is just that it has to be a combination of the two. Yeah. Um, because I think the the opposite end, end of that spectrum is Super Paper Mario, where 
Yes. I, I don't. That. I don't think Thank I have to go into too much no. detail. Yeah, right. Uh, That's yeah. exactly where I was there going. There needs with to be personality that. along with yep. the visual design. Yes. Yep. Yes. Because I think the thing about this game that I found fascinating by the ending of it was that I remember when they announced like the Legion of Stationery in one of the trailers, and you see, okay, it's like a stapler and a rubber band and all this other stuff. Like, how are they going to make this interesting? And yet, by the end of the game, like the Legion of Stationery were some of my favorite characters, like mm -hmm. by far. And the way that they give those characters personality and really do make them different it's like amazing to me and I think it's a testament again oh, to gosh, how good the yeah. writing is in this game yep. that some of those Legion of Stationary characters are literally <sighs> better and more fleshed out characters than the Koopalings in the previous game in the previous game they're just like there to be you know a Koopaling okay you've seen them in all the other games before they're a means to an end and you know, I, again, I don't want to spoil too much, Damiani, but Sam, there's a moment that I know you've gotten to where that was probably one of my favorite fights in the entire game. And it was so different than anything else that was in a Paper Mario game before. And it really made me like these stationary characters. And I'm like, when are we going to see the stapler again? When are we going to see the scissors again? I can't wait to see more of these characters <laughs> in future games. Yeah, from the, from the trailer, I'll just say which boss is, but I won't say what's going on. The, the rubber band boss. The whole Whoa. sequence leading Love up to it. Phenomenal. I was like, so that, that, like, that's a thing. Like, that was such a well done sequence. And there are so many moments like this in this game that make me love it because they still are at the top of their game when they present these unique, interesting, well written scenarios for you to play through in each of the quote unquote chapters. I think they do a really good job with that. I, I think they are great at teasing. It's like, oh, I think I've. I'm at the next part. I'm, oh, we're going to go. We're going to do a elemental now. Not quite. You're going to go do this over here. Oh, no. But then you're like, you're kind of like down. But then like you see what it is like, oh, this is kind of cool. The, the puzzles, the, 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 like the mode that you get around. I like how very early on, much sooner than I thought, they give you alternative modes of transportation to get around. And they're, they're essential to the gameplay at those parts. I'm like, this is really cool. I'm really liking that. And that's why earlier, we'll get to this now. I was describing this maybe a little Zelda-like because I feel like this is more of a a, a mix up or a mashup of the older 3D style of Zelda games, like the the Wind Waker style Zeldas, where I got that vibe from it just in general. Meets like kind of like, you know, besides the Paper Mario things, but like a little element of like the. Uh, sorry not crash uh basically the 3d zelda games like wind waker and i was gonna say twilight princess i'm sorry i was like forgetting the other title but more like wind waker like like ocarina of time and george's mask wind waker like how the world is structured i go to a new area there's like it's a thing you gotta do before you go to a dungeon then you go to the dungeon you get a, you go to fight a boss i was getting that vibe here i was like these elemental parts are dungeons these are dungeons with puzzles yeah. like they're yeah, not as involved yeah. yeah they're not as involved yeah. as a zelda dungeon perhaps but I, I like this. I was like, I kind of want to see them push this, ramp this up more in the future. Mm -hmm. I think even uh, you touched on a couple of Zelda 3D titles, but even uh, kind of like the 3D, not the original DS game, Spirit Tracks and um, Phantom Hourglass. It's a, a little bit similar to those too. Um, I'm, I'm a big Zelda fan, so I'm all for that direction in general. Uh, but there's even there's an area in the game that is very specifically inspired by by a Zelda game. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I I think it works really well. I think it's kind of like a mashup between the two, um, yeah. and it's the puzzle elements I think that do, that does it. Um, the puzzle kind of dungeony elements, and uh, I'm all for puzzle elements in pretty much any style of game. So I I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. 
that area in particular was funny too because you get there and it's literally named exactly the same as that famous zelda area and then you find the thing in the temple and it's yeah. like oh uh these three things sound very familiar to something <laughs> else that's part of zelda lore like hmm i wonder what direction the story's going in i here. was so, yeah yeah it's super fun I haven't been able to fully explore it yet because there's a, an artificial barrier. I can't get past mm -hmm. the story allows me, but yeah, the name of the environment, I was like, okay, there's, where the, oh, I got to see some <laughs> They're not even hiding it. At this point. Not, I was yeah. like, this is cool. Uh, but yeah, I, I like yeah. that. I, I, again, just push more, lean more heavily on those elements in the future. And I think uh, for me personally, I will greatly enjoy them um, as well as stuff we've talked about, like the battle system, the, it, it's a good, I think it's honestly, it's a good, uh, it's a good foundation and it can yes. serve as a stepping stone to something much greater. I think, um, if they want to radically overhaul it, so be it. I mean, I trust that they can maybe come up with something completely different that could satisfy, um, people's, uh, you know, needs or interests as well. But man, yeah, like everything else, that question, everything else about this game, I'm just really loving it and surprised. Uh, and it easily makes me, you know, the battle system is not that big of a deal at the end of the day. Like any of the shortcomings for me, everything else more than carries its like the weight for that, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Which is funny because I think any other game, because I feel totally the same way. Uh, if it was any other game and I was like, oh yeah, the battle system is horrible, but everything else is good. People would be like, oh, so like the main portion of the game isn't fun. But really like what has been fun for me at least about Paper Mario, it, or this one in particular, is like that exploration. It's seeing these new environments, the writing, the story. It's everything surrounding the, the battles, which is just so good and keeps you wanting to keep going through the story and exploring and, you know, hitting bushes to see if there's a toad hidden behind mm -hmm. it or, you know, finding the right accessory to then go through this certain area. I mean, that's... The aspect mm -hmm. of the game that I think is so good. And and like Sam touched on, it's it's already so strong in the Zelda franchise that if you just implement that exploration with like more of the strategy puzzle gameplay, you could turn Paper Mario into something that is completely different than what it originally started as, but it's still like fun and engaging, which is I think where Sticker Star and Color Splash really failed because those mm -hmm. games, they tried to be like the old Paper Mario games, but took out so much. And so many of the areas, specifically I'm thinking in Sticker Star, were like so generic compared to things that we had seen in previous Paper Mario games, or even like Sam mentioned earlier, like the partners in Super Paper Mario, that there was never anything in any of those games beyond Thousand Year Door that kept me wanting to play them. And again, it's a testament, I think, to how good this game is that I actually made it all the way through with Origami King, so. Yeah. Um, uh, something else I was, uh, sorry, I was going to say, a, slip. <laughs> just because, um, this got just like a teeny bit touched on uh, another element that I'm all about in this title is I'm a, I'm a big collection person. So hundred oh. percenting the toads, the collectibles, yes. um, and the question mark box. We have, we have actually like a little area in the map section where you can see what areas you've missed stuff in. Um, so this is huge for me. Like it's actually promoting me going back and exploring, especially as I get more accessories that help me find that stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't think I ever like wanted to go backwards in a Mario game, a paper Mario game. Oh, I'm exactly the same way. Like here, here completely. When you get to the portions where, you know, you find like the last totem area and the little badge shows up yes. on screen, yes. you have hundred percent of it. So I like smart. kept craving getting that little thing. And that's something that really stood out to me while playing this. I'm like, man, why is Nintendo still not done an achievement system? Yeah. Because that, like, 
if, if, if this can do this to this game, like imagine what it would do for something like a Mario or a Zelda or things mm-hmm. of that nature. I think that's such a basic thing that promotes uh, replayability and exploration that like I still don't know why that isn't uh, on the like system level of the Switch, that that isn't something that every game has. I don't mind it. I like having achievement systems within each game. Like that's fine, but it really should be a system-wide yeah. thing at this point. I've always, yeah. <laughs> that's like my one yep. thing I ask for every every E3, every update. Let that be the next yep. thing. Yep. But... I completely <laughs> understand that. That has been, yeah, I think, yeah, that's yeah. been on a lot of people's minds for many years now. Uh, the thing I was going to say, I forgot, uh, the point about if you remove the battle system, there are no battles in this game, how enjoyable it'd still be. As a point uh, we were actually talking about on the last episode of Frank about Xenoblade Chronicles, um i was saying like how that world like same vibe i could you could completely kill all the boss encounters uh, remedial encounters in xenoblade and it just its world is so rich in like exploration and wonder that that, that's just that good environment good game design that way outside of the combat is goes so so far in uh making your game great i i think i think sometimes especially in a series that's labeled as an rpg series like paper mario a lot of the focus is thrown on the story strictly the story slash most of the characters and in the battle system and like where are my experience points as we talked about and i think once people can maybe get past that those, those labels and realize that this game could be something more than that i i feel like people will really enjoy this game if they give it a chance and and maybe shed those preconceived notions about the series yeah mm-hmm. which brings me to uh my next question about the series in general uh this comes from carl uh is it time for fans of the older paper mario titles to let it go and finally accept that the old paper mario style is never coming back I'm sure if I played those titles, I might share their frustration, but I haven't, as Super Paper Mario was my first foray into the series. So I, I can answer that very easily, because I consider myself a very hardcore, original, old Paper Mario thing. Um, the fact that by the end of this game, I felt like, oh no, this is a good step in the right direction, um, I think is not a defense for the past three not being that good, in my opinion. <laughs> I think it's one of those things where the, you know, Sticker Star and Color Splash and Super Paper Mario removed so much of those original titles while still trying to be like those games that I think that's where their frustration came from. I don't really think now that Origami King has really like moved in a different direction and changed up the formula and really like originated itself in a way that's interesting and makes you want to keep playing the game. No, I I don't have any problem with it at all. I think there's like this weird mentality of like old school Paper Mario fans and new school Paper Mario fans. And ultimately like what I genuinely think this comes down to is it's a generational thing. I think there's people like me who grew up with 64 and Thousand Year Door and there's kids nowadays who are hardcore Nintendo fans who grew up with Sticker Star and Color Splash and those games to them are what 64 and thousand year door are to me it's just that if you look at it objectively and the way those games <laughs> have been developed two of those games are better in my opinion <laughs> than the other two games and so i think that's where the disconnect comes from but i do ultimately think that origami king is a great marriage of sort of the old school and the new school of paper mario that can as you mentioned time and time again set a foundation for something new where i think everyone can really come together and enjoy it yeah, I can speak kind of as the the old school fan that didn't hate Sticker Star as much as everybody else did, perhaps. Um, I think 
if the question is, is it time to give up on whatever you're holding to from the, the old titles, the older titles, I would say evaluate what it is you're holding on to. Is it right. specifically the battle EXP system? Because if that's the case, I would say, yeah, maybe <laughs> it might be a good idea to, to forget about that and open your mind to the possibility that the series can still be good, uh, yes. even if there have been missteps. And uh, certainly, we don't know what's going to come next for Paper Mario, if anything. It could go in any direction. So I, I think it, it helps to have an open mind going into any game. But series-wise, I think if you don't go into it expecting original Paper Mario or the Thousand-Year Door, you're going to be a lot happier for it. It's not a bad game. No. Yeah. And uh, to go one step further, if you're an old school Paper Mario fan who maybe wants that experience still, there's a great game on the eShop called Bug Fables, The Everlasting Sapling, which is $25 and is an incredible experience. And literally every little thing that you could think of about those old Paper Mario games that people really liked, down to like pressing a button to spin around on the overworld map, that's there. Like that's present in Bug Fables. It's clear that the people who developed that had a love for original Paper Mario and realized, oh, okay, Paper Mario the series might not be for me anymore. Let's just create something that's in that same vein. And I think if you guys give that game a chance, you'll really get a kick out of it. But like Sam was saying, I don't disregard Origami King just because it feels different, because I really do think they've listened in a few aspects to really turn it into something different that I, I do think everyone can enjoy if they just give it a chance. Yeah, very good points from both of you. It's funny, Bob, I've also been in my inbox and DMs, like Bug Fables, this comes up a ton of like, will you check it out? Will you know, will you give some attention to this? Which is also funny because ever since that other bug game, Bud, Bug Snacks was announced. Right. <laughs> like, because of the song and everything. Yeah. I always think of that now. Even when people say, like, the Paper Mario like bug game, like Bug Snack. Uh, no, that's not it. That's a, eh, it's like, this just a funny, weird tick there. But yeah. yes, uh, if you, there, uh, that's, well, we talked about this uh, at some point in Easy Allies. I'm, I'm, and maybe both of you thought about this at some point regarding like the Pokemon series how like it's it's never going to be what a lot of certain fan base wants it to be and ultimately the answer is you're gonna have to look elsewhere for what you're looking for and with Paper Mario there is an alternative right now there there is a bug it's bug fables correct there's a bug tale bug fables is bug the fables. Name. yeah okay. bug, fables. bug fables and uh there might be other games uh, you know other developers that try and make similar type of games in the future as homages to the older paper mario games um i understand it's harder to make a pokemon like game that feels like older pokemon but also is like new looking and you know like is a modern take on it uh a few have tried and has not come close but i mean when those come around, try those out and support those because I, I feel like it's a lesson in frustration and it's something you need to learn sooner rather than later that no matter how much you complain about something, it's not going to ultimately lead to the in game development. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to lead to the change you want just because yeah, you know, you're, you're vocal enough doesn't guarantee it's going to happen. So rather than, let that elevate into like i don't want to say everyone was like this but we did see out of this whole paper mario situation uh, again some toxicity came out of this that really didn't need to happen it, it, you yeah. can be upset and frustrated and disappointed in the decisions they make in the direction of the game but i think sometimes the way people express themselves about it it's just 
not the best and most productive way about it. And maybe learning that there are alternatives besides just even voicing your, your criticisms that there are other developers out there who might make similar games, maybe give them a try. Uh, but I also at the same time understand you fall in love with these characters for a reason. You're invested in it. You'd love to see that. I don't want to completely dismiss that either as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do wonder though, something you brought up earlier too is, um, you know, like how it, it's turning into a different thing and now Mario and Luigi doesn't exist, so there really isn't a Mario RPG franchise anymore. And there might not be. Uh, again, if Alpha Dream is really gone and mm-hmm. they don't decide to make another Mario and Luigi game, I mean, there might not be. And I could, I could totally see if they do take Paper Mario in the next direction and there isn't some type of other sub-series of Mario, that I do think a lot of that animosity is only going to grow. And I think mm-hmm. a big thing, too, is like right now, I think tensions are high. Everyone's still quarantined. Like it's that kind of, well, at least in North America, where it's the kind of thing where I think people want to find something to latch on to and get their aggravation out on. And I think Paper Mario, like at least a subsection of the fan base has sort of been the victim to that. Um, but again, I, I feel like if you make something different enough and unique enough and it's enjoyable, I think you will sort of curb a lot of those arguments and a lot of the animosity that people have towards what the series was. Because I think it's great that you brought up Pokemon. Because as somebody who's a longtime Pokemon fan, you know, Pokemon, the complaint that most people have is that the series hasn't really grown, right? It's that they want growth. They want it to turn into something different. But ultimately, it's remained the same game over these years. And it's the game hasn't changed from when you were a kid. Like the paper, the, the Pokemon games nowadays are pretty much the same, um, like bare bones that the original games were back on the Game Boy. It's that maybe you grew out of it. Um, and so I do think it's a different sort of situation with Paper Mario, where I feel like the series turned into something different. If I think if it remained the same, I think we wouldn't be having this argument in the first place, and people wouldn't be as as up in arms as it as they are. Um, but yeah, I just I want to see them continue doing stuff that's different, but at least focus on one thing, right? Keep this foundation of the ring system. It, it works on the whole. The game is, is really well done. The writing's really good. So just build upon that. If you build upon that and create something different, I think you're going to curb, like I said, a lot of the, the hatred and the people who want it to be something other than what it is now. Right. I think at the end of the day, if it's a good game, it's going to make most exactly. people happy. Um, and for me personally, Paper Mario, the hallmark of the Paper Mario series is the writing. It's the, yes. the fun aspect more than something like the battle system. So I think that's why I don't see it as like a big, a big change from game to game. Um, I think when there is at least a couple really good, strong elements, it's usually enough to carry a game. Um, and I think Paper Mario has held on to enough of that to at least remain a series. And I yes. think that the Origami King is kind of what's going to hopefully pull it back together and hopefully yeah. bring some people back in. And, and again, I will say as like an old school Paper Mario fan, this is definitively my third favorite game in the franchise now, like no question. And it definitely wasn't there when I first started. Um, but as I progressed through the game, like by the ending of it, six, 64 still is always going to have a very special place in my heart, number one. Thousand Year Door is very close, number two. But I would then say, and I maybe want to go back and replay Thousand Year Door because maybe I'm looking at it with like rose tinted glasses. Like I go back and I play Paper Mario all the time. And I know like that game to me is still timeless and still holds up. But it has honestly been a while since I went back and played Thousand Year Door. And I talked to some of my other friends about this on, uh, on Japan Time. And one thing that we brought up was that 
there's a lot of backtracking in Thousand Year Door that like I did not remember <laughs> when I first played through that game. And there are still some issues with that game. It's just, it's sort of been put on this pedestal for so many years that I think people don't want to, want to look at it critically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like there are some regards in which Origami King, just even based on my memory, and again, I need to go back and play Thousand Year Door again. Um, there's some regards, especially in terms of the writing and some of the originality of the side characters that actually shines through in Origami King, even above what I remember from Thousand Year Door, despite that nostalgia I have for it. So I think that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, actually, part of our next question we kind of just touched upon, um, it comes from Ian. Uh, at the, the, the end of their question was about how much influence do you feel fans uh, should have or that they have over the core identity of a franchise. We kind of already touched upon that, but they give an example. Um, and I think this is maybe a good like wrapping up point to address like this uh, talking point in regards to like identity and direction of a series. Uh, so the beginning of their, their question starts uh, with, with the origami King and most paper Mario games changing quite a bit up from the old fan favorites. I was wondering how you feel about a statement from fans I see quite often. It usually goes like this. Breath of the Wild is a great game, but a bad Zelda game. You could substitute (laughs) Zelda for Metroid, Metal Gear, or any other series with big changes. To me, this has never made much sense. After all, as a mere consumer, I uh, I don't feel I have any place defining what Zelda is. If Nintendo says that Breath of the Wild is a Zelda game, then Breath of the Wild is not just a great game, but a great Zelda game. So we're talking about Paper Mario here and like it's changing directions and stuff. Um, you know, the whole, like, how do you feel about if someone came up to say, Origami King is a great game, but it's a bad Paper Mario game? You know, how would you respond to something like that? I think Sam brought up a good point earlier, honestly, yeah. which was that, like, what is the core of Paper Mario? What makes it good? And ultimately, I think when you boil down to it, I think it's the writing. I think it's the writing and the characterization is even down to the problems people have with Paper Mario. With like, oh, they're getting rid of my, my partner characters or whatever. It still boils down to the characterization and the personalities of those characters. Um, and so I feel like if that is the core of Paper Mario, and you look at that statement, right, about Breath of the Wild being a great game, but a bad Zelda game. Well, ultimately, what is the core of Zelda? And like, Sam, you're a huge Zelda fan. I know you could touch on this. Is like, the core, to me, and I'm sure you agree, and I'm sure Damiani <laughs> agrees too, is exploration yeah, and puzzles. I agree. And it does that still in spades. So, you know, I, it depends on what people define as the core of those franchises. Mm-hmm. And I think my username is Nintendo fangirl, so maybe take with a grain of salt, but I feel like I have, I have a very high level of respect for, for the creators of these games, the writers, the developers, the producers, all the way up to the director level. Um, and my take on it has always been, if that is the direction that they feel artistically, or even if it's from a sales perspective, that they want to take the, the franchise in, that's their prerogative to do so. Uh, as a fan, I don't feel comfortable being that like that dictating force um, over where I want to. I may I may voice my opinion, um, but I feel like my respect for for these developers goes far enough that I want them to be making the decisions that they feel are correct for right. franchises. And sometimes I might not agree with the finished product, but. Uh, but I don't argue with whether or not it is their their vision, if they say it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I 
That is a very good point. And it's also a very a complicated topic, I think, in some regards. I agree with everything you said. I The one thing I would add to that, that I would be play devil's advocate is, is when a series, I feel like some games, when they become a series, they become bigger than their creator, um, that they will live on beyond their creator. And we've seen this with more than video games where creators ultimately don't know how to completely let go of their work and like hand it off essentially where it's like mm. pass this on it, it's time for it to move on it, there are other people who will take this and run with this and continue to make it a, an, an excellent thing um, but sometimes historically that's led to clashes where the person who created it's like this is no longer my vision i like I disavow all this whereas like what came from that people love though they love both but like you know that that gets the creative feuds and stuff like that that's not really what i want to focus on i want to focus more on like potential of like a series maybe potentially being held back when a creator doesn't want to allow someone else to work on it um because we've seen this generation especially with the switch we've seen newer people come in in some of these regards helping out with the development of a lot of these big you know mainstay franchises and we've seen some of the most unique best outputs from these studios i mean we did just reference breath of the wild you know letting uh, uh their second you know our not second but letting fujibayashi like go completely wild with like a completely different team backed by monolith soft of all you know uh, amazing studio as well to realize an open world zelda game that was completely different we talked about like you know koizumi being able to bring in new talent at the the in tokyo to do uh Super Mario Odyssey, even like things like even Mario Tennis, the recent Mario Tennis, they at least tried to like, you know bring back story mode and like a semblance of that. I feel like they all the mainstay franchises have been trying to do stuff, and, and I yeah. think it's indica- indicative of them allowing newer people and having having these opportunities. Like same thing, like we got Splatoon, a whole new series out of that. Like that's one of the most popular series. So my only concern would ever be is if there's any people from the old guard um, who might be stonewalling progression for a series and when you see a game maybe seem a little stale or it didn't really evolve as much as you'd hoped and it was clear that there are people wanted to do different things with it and it didn't happen uh when we get to peek behind the curtain sometimes um i'm 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 referencing star fox zero here with miyamoto um i love i'm so glad you said it i'm like i love miyamoto i love miyamoto i love i love miyamoto i love star fox i have uh, as a a, you know someone who grew up with nintendo uh as their primary you know company where you consume games from uh of course i have a lot of reverence for for shigeru miyamoto the same time there have been instances where i'm like i really wish he would let some other people take have a little bit more control and that other people might try and stand up to him a little bit more and challenge him on some positions. Um, right. Like again, is someone Sam is someone's like really into Zelda, the stories of Anuma and, and Miyamoto butting heads, the upending the tea table stuff where it's clear. I, I get the vibe a lot of times that Anuma wanted to do more, more changes. There's even stories about Koizumi, Yoshiaki Koizumi, man behind the switch, man on Odyssey, having to sneak story into the older Zelda games through NPCs and the manuals because Miyamoto would axe it because he didn't want it in his game. So, I mean, and yeah. that brings it back to Paper yeah. Mario because that yeah. was something that came up during Sticker Star. We heard rumblings that Miyamoto's the reason that like the toads were all just generic mm. toads in that game. And now, was, like, obviously, yeah. Tanabe's touched on it and stuff now. So we know it's a little bit more than that. It's not something that simple. Mm. But I think Star Fox is a perfect example of 
almost the creators not even knowing what the core of their franchise is that makes it great. Like at least it seems clear Intelligent Systems knows the writing is what keeps people coming back to Paper Mario. I would say even with the weakest Paper Mario games, the one thing that has always been strong has been a good script. Like I, that's been a through line. And I think with Star Fox, you know, it's debatable about what you think the core of the franchise is, but at the end of the day, it's like the soap opera-y fun aspect and dialogue plus the rail shooting, right? Those are the two things. And when you continuously reboot to just go back to the original thing and you're not differentiating on it or you think like, oh, the thing that makes it interesting is the control scheme that needs to be different. It's like, no, 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 no. Just like do these cool on rails areas. This is all people want. Make it arcadey. Put it on the eShop for 20 bucks. Like it doesn't need to be a $60 franchise. I think as the times evolve, these franchises could become something else, right? Zelda was destined because it's one of Nintendo's big franchises to become this giant blockbuster in the way the Breath of the Wild was. Mario Odyssey, same way. Like people craved that real 3D Mario experience again and they delivered in all spades. I would even say like Luigi's Mansion 3 is a good example of this recently of like Dark Moon sort of went off the beaten path, gave us like all these smaller mansions and it really wasn't what like the original Luigi's Mansion was. Luigi's Mansion 3, it's one environment. You're in this hotel, you go through the whole thing, you've got these different environments within it, but the core of what made the original game good is present in spades. And, um, and I think that's where a lot of these discussions sort of lie. Whereas, you know, Paper Mario, again, as we've touched on multiple times in the discussion, it's about the script, it's about the writing, it's about the funny story. And so long as they can continue that, I think they've got a really solid foundation to build upon. Yeah, I think if I could add an asterisk to what I said earlier about uh, it being a creator's vision, I would also say to that, that there is no, no Nintendo game that exists that is one creator's vision yes. uh, and it should never never be that way right. um right. yes so part of that just comes down to the the bureaucracy within a company um whether somebody needs to speak up more or somebody needs to speak up less or uh what exactly it is i don't think we know but um i think it is important that that the input the the artists artistry of multiple people who we know are are wonderful at what they do right is is taken into consideration very yeah, well absolutely. very well put such a good point um also yeah when people complain about stuff also please don't direct it at a single person like that happens way too often like i know totally. i was talking about like miyamoto but like as you find out with all the whenever you get to peak find occurred in a lot of these like especially the old awada ask uh you get to see like people's assumptions were usually not always entirely correct about who was really working on what and a lot of times this is in these earlier games People's roles, they might have had a title, but I mean, what they were actually doing was never that clearly defined. People were kind of like, right. you know, utility people doing all sorts of things. And, you know, just, uh, yeah, yeah, like having at least a little bit of respect, you know, for the, the work people are doing, you know, they are trying to do it, you know, that's, sure. you know, good, good stuff there. Um, and I have two bonus questions that are not related to Paper Mario that uh, I picked from our patrons. But before we move on, is there anything else you wanted to say about Paper Mario or Yami King or the series before we move into our final our finale here? I This is a minor thing, and okay. so I'm just going to throw it out there. 
this game makes me want Paper Mario and Smash Brothers. <laughs> there's so much good music and there's so yeah. many interesting ideas for like stages and things like that, that I really feel like they could utilize some of the stuff that was introduced in this and make him a really fun character. Like I know there's already three links and there's already, you know, multiple versions of some characters, but Paper Mario would really be his own thing. And uh, yeah, especially some of the later areas, which I, I won't spoil, but there's one area in particular I'm thinking of. I'm like, this is a Smash Brothers stage. You throw the Legion of Stationary music in there, we're good to go. <laughs> yeah, I could see Paper Mario in Smash for sure. Uh, I don't really have anything to add, just that I'm looking forward to finishing the game. I'm, I'm in the point where like, in my day-to-day -day life, all I can think about is where I am and what the next part of this game is gonna be. So it'll be, it'll be soon. Nice. Uh, I'm right there with you. Uh, I want to get this game. Uh, I just want to keep playing this game. I'm enjoying it so much. Our final two questions uh, on two totally different topics. Uh, first one comes from Andrew. Maps are a big part of video games to the point that people who play games are often good at reading maps outside of, are often as good at reading maps outside of games as, as well. I guess they had an extra as in there. Sorry. To me, the simplicity of a map like Ocarina Times has its place but offers no real utility. On the other hand, Hollow Knights is both beautiful and very useful. Are there any games where the map stands out as being especially good, whether it's general design, use of various icons, or how the map opens up as you progress? Thank you for all the great content, Andrew. I gotta think about it for a little bit. I, yeah. The one, so, the one I know that gets a lot, but this is not for me. I actually had problems with this, but maybe you two think differently. Was Metroid Prime's 3D map, like the oh. 3D environments oh, to be able to see the that? The way it was layered. So many oh, people totally like love that. that, and yeah. then you can even turn off the yeah. hint system. So if you didn't want to see where you know you needed to go next, at least you could try and see like closed doors, like this one. If you interact with it, oh, it needs ice beam or it needs a wave beam, something like that. And, and people love that. For me, uh, uh, maybe it's just because like my mind like uh, didn't grasp it very well, so it might just be a me problem. But I, I do know that one gets a lot of praise and being like a pioneering map in Nintendo games for doing a 3D environmental display for, for your, your map. Yeah, I think uh, maybe this is just a product of me not thinking about this enough, but I think that I'm really quite happy with the later Zelda titles, how they've gone with their maps. So like Wind Waker and Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword, um, especially within dungeons, you, you, once you unlock the map for that dungeon, you get a layered map. You get, uh, if you have the compass, you get to see where the treasures are that you're going for. Uh, I think it, it, for me, maps don't need to be complicated, but they also should be helpful in some way. And I think yeah. Zelda satisfies that in the way that I need it to. Yeah, Breath of the Wilds is like still one of my favorites to this day, <laughs> like exploring it and then putting the little markers for where oh, you yeah, want to go. I just, I, I love Breath of the Wilds. Um, funny though, you bring up that question because literally I just started for the first time playing Hollow Knight like a week ago. And one of the big complaints I heard from a lot of people, because I'm, I'm like loving it. Super Metroid is one of my favorite games of all time. It's like very much in that vein. I love it. And I also agree with the person who asked this question. I think the map is like incredible in that. But one of the big complaints I heard from a lot of people is because you have to go by the compass like right at the very beginning, you can get lost so easily in Hollow Knight's map. Um, 
to the point where I then had people like come into my streams of Hollow Knight saying, oh, I dropped this game because I couldn't make my way through the maps. And they just didn't know, oh, you go back up and buy the compass and it literally changes everything. And that's such a core part of what makes that game special based on what I've played so far is, you know, buying the maps in each area and then filling it out and exploring and then seeing where you've already been because it's a lighter shade. Then I do think they do a really good job with it, but I would actually argue, I don't think it is as simple for a lot of like gamers as something like Breath of the Wilds is. I think Breath of the Wilds is a much more accessible map um, and, and serves its purpose really well. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, the point about purpose, I mean, Team Cherry has stated that they wanted you to get lost in, in their world. Right. Like that, that was part right. of the design is that you, yeah, it's even a trade-off at some points because it does take up one of your slots to even use the right. compass. So you can, you can get rid of it to get other buffs or attributes that you think you want to need. And I mean, that that's part of Hollow Knight. Uh, it was for me. It was frustrating at first as well. But I mean, I've replayed through that game multiple times, and like I, un so good. I completely. <laughs> it was an instance that we were talking about, like with the conversation yeah. you started, Sam, about respecting you know the creative team here and their vision. Like it, once I grasp it, I like got it, and I completely agree yeah. with that decision for it to give it. I mean, maybe they like wanted to make an uh, an option for people. Like, sure, here's like an easier difficulty. I'm all for accessibility, yeah. but at the same time, I'm also I do respect. Please try it at least the way we intended it first. And sure. if it gets to be too much at a certain point, go ahead. You know, change, change, change what you need to do to, to get through it and stuff like that. I have a contender for a uh, great map that could be complicated that I think is quite accessible that I think you guys can probably speak to. Uh, I'm playing, playing through Xenoblade Definitive Edition for the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. And so yes. I'm a big fan of how simple it is to swap through side quests and see where on the map I need to go, uh, yes. as well as uh, the fast travel through the map system and just the, the unlocking so you can see more of the map as you walk to it. Yeah. Um, I think that the way that Xenoblade handles it is really good too. Oh, specifically the definitive edition. Yes, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a cases, huge yeah. fan of the original uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, but yeah, like that was a huge issue with getting lost very easily. Mm -hmm. And that, it, it wasn't like, I think, a, <laughs> a developer thing of, oh, they want you to get lost and find stuff sort of in the same situation as Hollow Knight. I think they encourage exploration, obviously, mm -hmm. with the RPG mechanic where you get experience for every new landmark that you find. But I, I do think the streamlines they made in Definitive Edition are just fantastic. I yeah. just actually beat uh, last week Future Connected, and I 100%ed it. And I know I never would have 100%ed it if not for the accessibility stuff that's within mm -hmm. the map of that game. We'll say, we, we talked about Xenoblade on the last episode. I will say Future Connected's map does need a little work. Uh, it does not include a basic feature that was in the main game, which is uh, Levels. You can't toggle yep. between the floors or the topography, basically, which is made a little, made me miss a few things that were like pretty obvious. But anyway, yes, like I absolutely like, that's a great example. In fact, Xenoblade 2 originally didn't have a very good map. And then they, they did right. fix that eventually, though. Right. The, the, the concern. So maps, oh, yeah. Xenoblade is such a good franchise. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> so good. <laughs> uh, the last thing I'll say about this is, because, uh, I mean, I mentioned Metroid. I don't want to be pick one. One I've always loved. Uh, another Zelda ones. Uh, uh, the way the original Zelda handles uh, Zelda 1 for NES uh, handles dungeon maps. Uh, until you actually get the map, you are basically charting each room as like a, like a little square. And you're carving out, basically, 
the path. So it's like grids, basically. Like it's like get graph paper and you do it yourself where you just pause, bring up the menu and look at it. I love that. And then when you finally get the map, you see like, oh, these are the rooms I haven't been. Like I, I kind of like that. It was a novelty. And um, th that was, I think, the one thing. While the overworld aspect of Zelda 1 is definitely recaptured in breath of the wild i'm hoping with the sequel they recapture a little bit of the essence of a dungeon exploration and dungeon design where it is kind of like the same thing where you are kind of having to like chart things out and figure out how to progress um rather than relying on like here is a guide telling you where to go and stuff like i know i would hope for that Breath of the Wild 2 is going to be so good, too. I could feel it in my bones. <laughs> I cannot. I, cannot. I, just, I, I want more information about it. I made the know. rule. I cannot talk about Breath of the Wild 2 until Nintendo officially says something else. Because right. we had way too many okay. episodes talking I think about it's Breath gonna, of the Wild oh, I think it's going to be a while, though. I think just based on uh, announcements and yeah. the, the way of the, the world is sort of working right now, I think it's going to be a while. I don't think we're going to hear about it by the end of the year um, as much as I would like to. But I think next year will be all about Breath of the Wild 2. So there'll be plenty to talk about then. I hope. <laughs> Hope is all the 35th anniversary next year. Let's hope. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the last question I have here comes from Michael. Um, I've been following Nintendo online since the late GameCube early Wii era. And I think I finally stopped caring about speculation. Whether it's an online rumor, ESAB, sorry, ESRB or Peggy listings or retail listings, they seem to always grab the attention of Nintendo media and websites and YouTube channels even though historically these types of rumors rarely end up being true. It's getting to the point where I'm starting to feel bad for Nintendo because they cannot possibly live up to the hype that a juicy rumor conjures up. Sometimes even the true rumors are a letdown. The most recent Nintendo Direct rumor was correct, but it ended up being eight minute, an eight-minute partner direct. Meanwhile, every Nintendo news site post rampant speculative every Nintendo news site posted rampant speculative article articles, uh, or gets a podcast together to discuss what they think is going to be in the direct. When the reality is that we have no idea what Nintendo is going to show us. Nintendo is very much a mystery. So my question is: Is it time to stop reporting and speculating on Nintendo rumors? Love and respect. <laughs> So we just talked about this before we went uh, and started this recording about how I feel like I'm sort of past that at this point right now, um, where I, I mean, I love doing prediction podcasts and hyping up things and guessing at characters and smash or whatever, but specifically over the course of the past three, I think with the first Pokemon presents presentation with Pokemon unite, where, you know, we just had the announcement of Pokemon snap. And we went, oh, the next one has to be, if it's its own thing, it's going to be great. Maybe it's the new generation. And it ended up being a MOBA. Okay. Then we got, okay, well, we know we're going to get some information because Mario's anniversary is coming up and Paper Mario is coming out. We'll find out more about that. And then Treehouse Live got announced and they announced that, oh, there's going to be a third party announcement in that. And people started speculating, what's this going to be? And it was Bakugan, even though Nintendo set expectations to be like, hey, this isn't going to be a first party thing. And then I think the same thing kind of happened again with that recent Direct Mini where they said it's a partner thing, but because there's so much that's already been announced with No More Heroes and Bayonetta and Bravely Default, it's Bravely Default especially, I mean, that game is coming out very soon, yeah. um, that people thought, well, we're going to get information on that, surely. And then the Japan site, Tempered Expectations, it said it's going to be a 10-minute long thing. And then the American one ended up being eight minutes. And so I think it's, it's past the point, and I think this is a, a, a greater issue and maybe a different discussion to have, but I feel like it's past the point of at least this year speculating about Nintendo Direct because I think 
the the brand of directs and the way we've thought of directs for such a long time, it's just like it hasn't really happened this year, right? We, we're getting direct minis, we're getting partner things, we're getting treehouse things, and they're not the same sort of direct experience that we've expected over the course of the past however many years. Um, and you know, that could turn into something different that maybe is better or worse or whatever. It's just dependent on time. I mean, when directs first happened, I'm sure you guys remember, like there were a lot of people going, they're not doing live presentations anymore. This sucks. I hate this. And then it evolved into being literally the best thing to happen in Nintendo in five years. And so it, it's the kind of thing where they could turn this into something great where they have these miniature presentations. And so now I'm at the point where like, Foots off the hype train gas. I'm going to let them do what they need to do. And whatever ends up getting announced, you know, great. But I, I think Paper Mario even is a great example where recently, you know, they shadow dropped that out of nowhere. They said randomly on like a Monday, oh, Paper Mario is coming out in a month and a half. And that's it. And I think they could end up doing that with, you know, the rumored Mario 3D collection or any of the other things that have been rumored for so long that everyone just sort of expects them at this point. And, um, and I think that's kind of all they need to do. Yeah, I think there's so many layers to to this topic. Uh, one of them being what you just touched on, Roger, which is that this year is unlike any other year. Usually you can look at last year, you can look at the last three to five years and you can say, well, realistically, Nintendo is going to make an announcement around this time period or they're going to talk more about this game at this point. All Everything that we've known from the past is out the door. Um, and who knows really how much of it is pandemic related and how much of it is purposeful direction related. I would assume it's mostly pandemic related at this point, yeah. uh, especially with uh, not having E3. I think there's probably a ton of announcements that would have been at E3 that are now uh, conveniently going to be wherever Nintendo wants them to be. <laughs> um, but there's, there's the fact that we don't have more of a baseline to go off of that makes speculating more frustrating, I think, uh, both for the people doing the speculating and for the people who consume the speculations. Yes. Um, because you can only get so many uh, hopeful guesses wrong in a row before mm -hmm. before people are, are not too happy with you. Uh, the other layer of this, I think, is more on the, the leak and the, the uh, intentional rumor side of things which is, you know, at what point do you listen to a rumor and you, you take, take it into account? Um, and that's tricky. Uh, in my opinion, I never, ever try and get hyped up over something that's not been announced officially. Yeah. Um, or at least that doesn't have a, a very strong layer of credibility behind it. Um, and that's advice that I would personally give to anybody is take everything you hear that's not directly from Nintendo with a massive grain of salt. Because Absolutely. if you get excited over something and you end up disappointed, then that disappointment gets directed to Nintendo, which is kind of strange, a strange, weird roundabout situation um, where Nintendo's just trying to, <laughs> trying to do their thing and make their games right. and somebody hinted at some crazy uh, Zelda Mario mashup. This isn't an actual scenario, but somebody hints at some crazy Mario Zelda smash up. People start to believe in that. And then when Nintendo announces that just Zelda uh, Breath of the Wild 2 comes out and it's not a Mario mashup, yeah. that, that somehow turns into disappointment. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. I, I just, I don't get too hyped over anything that doesn't come directly from Nintendo's mouth. Yeah, 
And I think that's smart. I think that's the way you should be, honestly. I think if you go in and you're, you know, you hear a rumor and you're like, oh, that could be cool, but it doesn't like affect your enjoyment at all of whatever does end up getting announced, I think that's fine. I think it's when, you know, you you set up this expectation for yourself, like every direct has to have a smash announcement. Every direct has to have four new first party games because they have nothing else for the calendar year. It's like, well, no, nah, it, it doesn't have to. We're in the middle of pandemic. Like Paper Mario could very well be the last like original first party game of the year. And I'm sure, you know, Nintendo has ways to deal with that, but it's up to them on when to announce it. And I think so much of the frustration, again, stems from the fact that so many people are quarantined. They want something to do. And I think we're also in a situation where I really can't remember Nintendo having this many exciting games that we already know about in development and not really knowing anything about them, where we know Metroid Prime 4 is being worked on right now. We know Breath of the Wild 2 is being worked on right now. We know at minimum there's going to be another four Smash characters that are coming out that could drop at any point. We know there's going to be Pokemon DLC coming out. We know, again, even with third parties, No More Hero, um, Bravely Default, Bayonetta 3. Like, There's a lot of really big stuff that has been announced that I think people are just waiting on news on. And I think they took those earlier statements of Nintendo saying, you know, a lot of things really haven't been affected by the pandemic when it's very clear they have been. Yeah. And I think people maybe look at, looked at those statements when we were at a different time um, and things maybe either didn't seem as serious as they are now or whatever. And they set those notions in their head of, Oh, well, Nintendo said that it's not that big of a deal and that, you know, it's not halting development. So of course we're going to know about breath of the wild too, by the end of the year, of course we're going to see this Mario collection and, things just end up getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And I think it's sort of this weird mix of both of those. We're at a point where the speculation is almost like not even fun and right. it's not fun to consume it because it's almost, it feels like we know everything, you know, right. like with the announcement they've already made and with the credible rumors, it, it feels like we know everything for the next year and a half. And so mm -hmm. I think people are just craving for that new thing. And Nintendo does their announcements so different than every other yes. major company yeah. that, you know, I think people, like to compare Nintendo to uh, things like the PS5 stuff that's being announced now and uh, the Xbox One X stuff that's being announced, but they're they're so far separated. Um, but particularly because Nintendo has been doing such a okay, good job uh, of keeping things secret until right. it's very close to time to really talk about them, um, which is something that I prefer, but I know not everybody prefers waiting until close to launch to hear about things. Um, but that makes people more anxious, I think, because uh, there might be like a massive, not to get anybody excited for it, but there could be a massive title like planned for November that we have no, we have no sure. notion of at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and we won't. So there's, there's a level of patience that Nintendo fans are required to have. Yeah. Uh, very good points. I, that last point you just made there, Sam, I think is a big one because I think, well, people can accept like a, a game like Paper Mario can be announced only two months before it comes out. I think people have a hard time about believing that the next update to Breath of the Wild sequel will be if it's an, like whenever they do announce it, it's like, oh, it's coming out within two months of that announcement. People are like, what? Like, where was you the, imagine people like I think people have some expectation of like their biggest games having some kind of like build up. But I mean, as you said, the, the rules have kind of like changed with the current situation and they may not like want to go that route for whatever. You know, they, they might believe the route they're taking is the right choice. Um, 
they, they're very good at keeping things secretive, I think, as well. The one point I would like to address, though, is that uh, I do think in terms of their communication, um, they're still learning, I think, and, and trying to get better at it. Uh, I still do not. I, I think they really need to change their uh, short lead time on announcing directs. Uh, yes, I don't think it's sure. Still, if, if it's really the only way they're keeping things secretive, I think, uh, especially once the pandemic is over, because they've been doing this since before the pandemic, I really think once things get to back to a little bit normal, them they need to find a different way to maybe, you know, keep things under wraps a little bit better because it, well, you can still, it, they, you still get coverage, but I mean, it kind of plays into the, 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 the hype culture stuff when you do it like that, where if you, if you let people plan for it and stuff, like it, it's, um, uh, I don't know. I guess maybe it's also like a personal courtesy. It's a, a professional courtesy. So people have to cover this stuff. It's really shitty to be like told the morning of we need to get up. Like you're not already up. Hopefully someone is up to wake everyone up so that we can react to this and cover this. Before yeah. it's old the last news. one was midnight. Yeah. It was announced yeah. midnight Eastern time. Yeah. And I, I think that goes back to sort of the thing I'm questioning with like what's going on right now in terms of planning out the directs. And again, I'm sure so much of this is due to the pandemics, but um, you know, if you took the Treehouse live and you took the mini direct and you took the one that happened right before with the Pokemon stuff and you combined it into one, that'd be a pretty decent direct that I think a lot of people would have been happy about. And I think it was that because it was sparsed out. And again, I'm sure this was because things weren't finalized and you know, they're not in the office to have all these calls to plan everything. I think, all of that stuff could have been in like an early summer Nintendo Direct that would have been along the same lines as what other people were expecting. And I don't think as many people would have been as disappointed. I think it's because people keep hearing the term Direct and things keep getting announced. Like it seems like every month there's like some new miniature Direct and it ends up being something really small that then people, because they've conflated the term Direct with like lots of hype announcements, they expect something other than what it is. And again, like Sam was talking about, I think the rumors absolutely play in a part of it too, as I think every once in a while there is like a really credible rumor that bubbles up but on the whole i mean anyone could go on 4chan and like make up a rumor of like oh a uh, new pokemon mmo is getting announced and tomorrow they rebranded the f-zero twitter account and so we're gonna get a new f-zero game on the eShop. like any literally anyone can do that and i think when things are reported on that are of that level of credibility then i think that does sort of create this like negative cycle within it almost it comes back and hurts Nintendo when Nintendo didn't do anything. They're like Sam said, they're making their games. They're they're just working on making Breath of the Wild too, and suddenly yeah, yeah, <laughs> and all of a sudden they hear that F Zero is being developed. It's like, like oh. we're not making that. What's this? You know, uh, so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Sam's best point, to be uh, I mean, not your best point. Sorry, uh, a very <laughs> uh, important point. Sorry that you made is that you really need to wait for something to come from Nintendo before assuming right. anything, even the things right. we, that people are so sure of last year, it was all these outlets, respected outlets reporting on star Fox grand prix. Who knows right. what happened with that? If it was even real this year so far, it's been the 35th Mario 35th anniversary collection, the 3d Mario games, which sound very plausible and likely, but at the same time, Nintendo has not said anything about those. They might not exist. Yeah. They might not be real. So you yeah. know, people still talk about them like they're happening. It's like, you, we want them to happen. They make no mistake. And it seems very likely, but you got to be careful with that stuff. I, everyone, yeah, even myself, I, I find myself, you know, lapsing and forgetting that at points. But, you know, it is uh, good to be reminded of that, you know, as Sam pointed out, that, you know, you should really rely only on official communication from Nintendo before you get your 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 hopes up for certain things, for <laughs> How sure. How funny would and it again, be? This 
if, oh, go ahead. if the 35th anniversary stuff was not real, but then Nintendo heard the rumors and were like, oh, like crap. We, we got to do it. That's why it's taking so long. We had to put it together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was going to say it's, it is funny too, because there's plenty of stuff to be excited about. That's like already announced from Nintendo. Like I said, with prime four or breath of the wild two or whatever. And it's just like, people don't want to focus on that. They want to focus on like these rumors of things that, haven't even been announced yet and it's like we're in a really good time as nintendo fans right with the switch has a lot of good games on it i'm going through my backlog right now of a bunch of stuff that like i didn't even get a chance to play last year that i don't know i almost feel like we had the wii u era and people it was mm. just it was just the last generation and it's like people forget what that was like it's like we lived through, all right? We've seen wars. <laughs> we lived through Amiibo Festival, Mario Tennis Ultra Smash, and Star Fox Zero, all right? I survived that. I came out on the other side. And so when I'm getting stuff like Clubhouse Games and Definitive Edition, I'm like, yes, sir, rolling up my <laughs> sleeves and, like, getting excited for them. So I, I feel like, I don't know, Nintendo fans have a very short-term memory, it seems like, a lot of the time. It's like things have definitely been worse. Yeah. I will maybe try and wrap this up by saying, though, I do think, I, I feel it is fair, though, to say Nintendo is on a clock, though, in terms of, like, there is a certain point I think we will get to where if they've not updated us on any of their internal projects, there are going to be question, reasonable questions asked about what, you know, how severely were they actually impacted by COVID, um, uh, or is there, you know, maybe other reasons, you know, we, I mean, Metroid Prime 4, had to switch studios to retro and like we understand yeah. why it's taking so long you know could something of like that happen with breath of the wild 2's development like did something go wrong and you know they'll be you know th they will lead to that sort of like speculation and questions being asked also as we get closer to getting more concrete details from sony and microsoft we're also playing right. chicken with each other refusing like mm -hmm. i mean we, we're criticizing nintendo a little bit but the same thing sony did the same thing this week the uh, rumor stuff. Everyone was sure there's going to be a, a Sony event this week. Big, big, big time respected people were saying, expect one, you know, in, in the near future, probably this week. We get a say to play announced and they say, no, no PS5 announcements. It's like, right. <laughs> so right. like there's like, they're start, like we have to set expectations, but at the same time, sure. it's going on, I think, with everyone right now to an extent. Yeah. But uh, also to wrap up my point, the information out there, I think, to an extent, Nintendo is waiting on some more information from its competition. Whether they ever call them competition, I think they want to know the timing of those new consoles and when they're coming out to gauge maybe what they need to have for their lineup to ensure you know they keep Switch's momentum going through the rest of the year and into next year. Um, and I, I think it might be as simple as that. Is there just you know they have the advantage right now because their system's selling so well, they don't have yeah. to go through a new system launch. Like. Go, let, let them figure this out. We're going to keep writing on, you know, Animal Crossing's momentum and Definitive Edition and Clubhouse Games. And, you know, these will carry us for definitely a few more months at the very least, which hopefully by the time we can, they'll probably, I expect by, like, by sometime in September. I don't think there'll probably be anything in August. I don't think this rumor, there's another, again, another rumor about something in August. <laughs> right, another rumor. next week. I, I, like, if it happens, I'm expecting, like, another partner direct. Like, small updates on small right. third-party right. games that just need to have their updates. I, I, I'm guessing, like, maybe towards the end of September, October, is a, like, would be my best guess for a realistic chance for, like, an update from Nintendo if they're going to do something. I don't think they have to do something right now. Like they're not, they're, they're, no one's going to hold their feet to the, the, the fire that closely right now. Right. But as we get towards the end of the year and we get those new console details for sure. I can understand that. Yeah. And I think people just, 
there's really only three more times I could think of with the rest of the year with how things are where I feel like, oh, this would be the smart time to like announce something. And one would be September because it's Mario's anniversary. One would be right around the holiday season because like you said, there's going to be new systems out there and little Timmy's grandma is going to want to buy a system for little Timmy this holiday season. And there's going to be two giant new systems that are like 500 something dollars and Maybe little Timmy's grandma is going to see like the switch there that still hasn't had a price drop. You got to remember the original base mm-hmm. switch has still not had a price drop. Mm-hmm. Maybe there'll be like a bundle with the game and they could push it with Animal Crossing or something and they end up selling a bazillion units. <laughs> and yeah. so that would be another time around the holiday season and then around the game awards. It'd be safe to assume that we'd probably get like an announcement at the game awards if they even are happening, right? If there's going to be a virtual game awards. But those are really the only three times where I would expect to hear anything at this point now. I think, like you mm-hmm. said, it's we're in uncharted territory and we really don't know what Nintendo's going to do. Yeah. It's really hard to say without having E3. Uh, we could have seen at this point everything that they were going to show at E3 or we yeah. could have seen almost none of it. We really have no sure. idea. Um, it's, it's entirely kind of on Nintendo's clock right now, but I totally agree. There's There's a point where they're going to have to either announce things or explain why they aren't announcing things. Yeah, that's the other part of it. Totally. Yeah, giving some explanation for what's going on at the very least, for sure. Yeah, and they have investors to to, um, answer to as well. It's not just fans. That next one is like, I think that's around when it happens. I think maybe September, October, because you were referencing earlier the the statement from Furika about, oh, we haven't been impacted by the pandemic. Like, no, no games are being delayed. But it was mm-hmm. the loophole. None of those projects we know about have release dates. So release like, dates. Exactly. They can, technically can't be delayed. So they technically <laughs> exactly. did not lie to their investors. But exactly. some investors are going to be hit to that next time. Be like, okay, like we'll be more specific this time. And like, if we don't get anything by then, an investor will get something out of them. Like they'll, they'll, they'll want to know thing the future. To to. Yeah. 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 Those investor calls. I mean, th- those happen every year without fail, come rain or shine. Like that is. Um, that's been a schedule they've had even before the directs even happened, right? They've always had these quarterly like investor meetings. And I think that is where you're going to get information. And, you know, people forget because this was before the era of the directs, but like Sonic and Smash Brothers, like when he first got introduced in Brawl and the announcement of Monster Hunter coming to Switch, which I mean at Switch, but Wii, which which is a huge deal at the time. That's a massive mm. franchise. It had never been on a Nintendo platform before. Those two announcements happened during an investor meeting in like early September of that year. So that is again the kind of thing where if this is a situation where Nintendo really does want to see what the competition is going to do and they don't want to announce these things in like a direct and they're going to have to announce it that's probably going to be your best bet where you're going to hear something I agree I think that is going to do it for this episode of of friend code Uh, I want to now give a uh, I want to give shout outs to our $250 patron tier uh, this is our shout out here. Um, the, uh, we used to only have five slots of these open for, uh, our $250 backers. We've since expanded that to 10 slots. Um, so if you are, we're always trying to get one of the spots that were, were just never available. Uh, we have expanded those out. If you want to try and grab one, I understand the timing is a little confusing for these, how we, how Patreon does, we, we, we don't charge you right away. Uh, for the two of you, how you understand how we do this with Patreon. It's like we wait till like the fifth of the month for like payments to be processed. So like if someone were to like pay before August 5th, they actually don't become, I believe, the sponsor till September. 
uh, or oh, they don't we get a sorry shout out tier till that because we don't do the immediate charge. So I understand it's like it's confusing and stuff, but uh, if you ever have a question, uh, go to our community tab on our Patreon, ask there, uh, someone will answer. It's usually Daniel Blowworth who is very on top of that. But anyway, our shout outs for the the month of this is uh, this is for August actually for the month of August. Uh, they are the original JoJo. Jeff Easton, Delissi, L. Thanis, Caleb Togi Crawford, and Greg the Dark Knight Kettering. Shout out. Thank you so much for your support. Um, this is also the part of the podcast where I'm going to let, uh, I would like to let our guest share where you could follow them if you want to see more of their work. Uh, I will start with you, Roger. Uh, where can everyone follow you? And do you want to give any updates on anything you've been working on? Sure, yeah. You can follow me on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram at RogersBase, R-O-G-E-R-S-B-A-S-E. Um, as I brought up earlier, I'm actually playing through Hollow Knight for the first time right now. It is amazing. And I've been doing a lot of regular like Nintendo streams on Twitch, more so than I've done in recent months, I think, because now I'm finally working through my backlog and Paper Mario is completed. I just did a whole playthrough of that. Um, so you can find VODs nice. of that on my VOD channel on YouTube, or like I said, just tune in on Twitch for lots of Nintendo gaming. Nice. And I go by Nintendo Fangirl, one word, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And then on Twitch, I'm Nin Fangirl because somebody took my username. Jerks. I actually, I took my own <laughs> username by accident back on just on TV or something. But oh. um, <laughs> uh, so I do mostly, streaming-wise, I do mostly Nintendo variety stuff. Uh, right now, I am doing pretty much my first playthrough of a game on YouTube, which is Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. It is also my first time playing the game. Uh, I'm on like part 10, so 30 hours in at this point. Um, and I also do uh, just Nintendo commentary videos. I like to just talk to the camera for 20 minutes. <laughs> it's enjoyable for me. So. <laughs> nice uh yes you should absolutely for our viewers and listeners you should go check out uh both roger and sam's uh the stuff pretty good stuff on here uh the they are uh very knowledgeable and uh credible and expert <laughs> uh trying to uh, i I, st I failed there i was trying we're to do technically we're both technically nintendo brand ambassadors yeah. you say that. oh yeah that's, 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 that's a title you got okay, two brand there you go <laughs> that's okay i was like what is it nintendo brand ambassadors so yes. they they Paper have these Mario official was provided by nintendo that's they hashtag have... free game hashtag, hashtag free product free game. this was this also, is this was and from this nintendo. podcast oh, is not this was as well this coffee this was from, from nintendo, nintendo. <laughs> this this switch was also from nintendo yeah oh i don't have it here Oh, no, uh, this this podcast is not presented by Nintendo. <laughs> not, uh, we, we, we don't have to How use any hashtags. If we bring just, it up, if we bring it up, and there's two thirds of the people talking, uh, that technically sponsored I mean, by Nintendo. How's that work? Technically, it would be. I'm sure. I don't know. I, uh, that, that's for uh, the 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 beer cats. Just all of the accessories. Know. Right. Mine keeps getting blocked uh, out by the there. We we go through this. The I think the most heavy handed has always been PlayStation because we have to put like on screen for. Copy provided by PlayStation. We have to verbally say it, and if you stream every hour on the hour, you have to do that like call out as well. It's like it, it's funny. It uh, actually, at least among the the brand investors of Nintendo stuff, it's like it's become like a funny meme at this point. Where like every hour we're like hashtag free game, hashtag free product. Because at first, you know, 
people would, would hear that and they were like, why are you bragging that you got a free game? And it's like, oh, believe me, this is not something no. we want to say. This is something we're required, required. by law to say. Um, and, and the sooner, you know, people realize that it just becomes like a funny thing yeah. and, and nobody minds. So. Well, thank you both of you for taking time out of your busy days to chat with me about Paper Mario and all things Nintendo. Uh, thank you to everyone who submitted questions uh, for us to answer on this episode of Friend Code. Uh, if you are $5 to submit questions for consideration for an episode of Friend Code, you need to be a $5 and up patron. I'll make a post on our Patreon calling for your submissions um, ahead of the recording of the episode and let you know what we're talking about. You're also a $5 and up patron. That means you're part of our early access tier. We get episodes of many of our shows and podcasts, including Friend Code, early. Um, so thank you for those of you who support us that way. For everyone else who watches us on YouTube on Fridays, thank you again for supporting us in whichever way you see fit. I got tongue-tied because I was about... I, we fit popped into my head as I said, see <laughs> It's fit. all good. Jeez, <laughs> wow. All right, well, you know... Oh, ring fit. Uh, someone just <laughs> got one. Uh, they went back in stock recently, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Someone they I know did. was able to get one finally. Highly recommended. It's very uh, good. Very yeah. hotly, yeah, very highly sought after item right now with uh, the pandemic and gyms being shut down here in North America. So, um, mm-hmm. I, I, so someone has that game. I can't recommend it enough as well. Um, yeah. But until next time, everybody, may the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. 